He's been conning the British public since this pathetic comeback of his. Listen to me right now. Let's be totally honest. Let me stand David, let's, let's be totally honest, brother. Them two guys you just fought, I could be, they're in town now. They're actually, they're, they're, working, they're either working on nightclub doors or they're putting the bins away. Them two guys you fought last two were a joke. And you're robbing everybody who pays to come in the arena. Listen, you, you predicted BJ was going to beat me, didn't you? You predicted he was going to be, he got smashed. And you see you, you're going to get smashed too. I don't care how, deep, how dangerous you think you are. We remember what happened when I was an amateur. We remember what happened when I was an amateur and you were fighting for the British title. Me and Pricey spanked you in the gym and the next day you pulled out against Mark Robson. And you know what? With 10 ounce gloves on, boy, I'll put you and that pathetic haircut to sleep. Believe that. So, believe that. How does this fight happen? Because the WBC... Listen, I don't care. Listen, SpongeBob SquarePants. I'll deal with you in a boxing. I don't fear you. You've got this big order on yourself. I don't care. I get 10 ounce gloves on and I don't care. I smashed your buddy, your playmate, your playboy, your nightclub buddy, and I will smash you the exact same way. So would you do it at heavyweight? I will do it anywhere. I'll go to his weight. He's really a cruiserweight. If the truth be known, he's the same dimensions as me. I have a little bit more fat and he's a bit better looking. But the top and bottom of it is, he's his dimensions, put him at cruiserweight. He's six foot three, the same as me. But with that SpongeBob hairstyle, he's about six four. Fighting spirit, I love it. Yeah, let's go, TVF. What did we have, TVE, before? You know, you know, we, 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 we TVF. Throwback fighters. Let that one ring bells like marinade. That's what we're coming from now. Throwback fighters, 2201, second to know. Stay hungry. Fucking hungry. Uh, Kelbrook against Crawford is it's not, it's not a fight, is it really? I mean, um, Crawford is one of the pound-for-pound pound top fighters in the world right now. And Kelbrook um, is not. Welcome back, everybody. You know what time it is. You know, you know what the platform is. Number one podcast in the sport where... I promise I'll talk about my solo commentary debut. But I have to say solo because, you know, I did the MTK show with Martin and Andy nearly five years ago. Wow. On a side note, that was such a golden period. Shouts out to, to Verbal Warning for reminding me about this. I think from September 2017 to September 2018, I don't think anyone did more to change the energy of boxing than what we did on that new age podcast. And I don't mean we made fights happen that wouldn't have got made. Not necessarily that. We let fans be themselves all of a sudden. People didn't feel the need to, to disguise how they felt about things. You know, people weren't afraid to kick doors down. People weren't afraid to challenge all of a sudden. And yes, there were people doing it before. But not at that scale. You know, we, we created a more inquisitive, a more challenging boxing community. I'm, I'm so grateful for that. But one of the crazy things about that is maybe we did too much too soon. Because what happens is 
you, you kind of blaze a trail. And the thing that was extreme and uncomfortable for people eventually becomes mainstream. It's like Snoop Dogg, right? Snoop does Murder Was The Case. And then he goes to doing Just Eat commercials. Like, you, you can't be the rebel forever. And I think that's one of the things we realized. And the real shame is there hasn't been an additional wave to then take it to another level. And so, you know, we're, we're all still trying to push this envelope at a time when we're probably too mainstream to try and do that now. But it was, it was a golden period. I, I think back to those days and how much fun it was. You know, we didn't really have the, the commitment and the engagement in the game that we do now. So we could say a lot more without really having to think about consequences. And I guess what happens over time is the more entrenched you get in the game, the harder it is to be that rebel. So this is just a call for, for the next wave of rebels, the next wave of disruptors to just push that envelope a little bit more. And we look to you guys now to tell us what the next direction for, you know, boxing fandom and so forth should be. But back to it. So how on earth do I end up commentating on a Carl Greaves show in Leicester? Um, no, no idea. I just got a text one day from Dennis Hobson. Dennis was like, mate, can you do the commentary for one of our shows in Leicester? You know, you'd be representing Fight Zone and all of that sort of stuff. And Den's a friend and he's done a lot for me. So, of course, I'm going to say yes. You know, so I sort of said yes without really thinking about it. So I had no idea who was fighting. I had no idea how it all worked. And so me and Den exchanged messages one Saturday. Um, he puts me in touch with Paul, uh, the production guy, lovely man, was a pillar of support through all of that. Like, without him, I don't know if it would have been as easy. But we, we go through it. And so the, so the idea is there's no pressing need to broadcast every boxing show live, right? Reality is, if you watch that Leicester show live, it probably won't leave Leicester. So whether I broadcast it on Saturday night or Tuesday night or Wednesday night isn't really of consequence to the rest of the country. In fact, you may appreciate having a full live card of boxing on a Wednesday as opposed to having to manage two or three screens on a Saturday. So I understood the premise and it also gave them the opportunity to, to clean up any content. So if I did make any bloopers or if I did swear by accident, at least as post-production to manage that risk. So the first thing I can tell you with absolute certainty is you can't commentate if you don't prepare. You know, sometimes you'd, you'd be at a live show and you'd see the Sky commentary or the BT commentary and you just see that there's a, there's a stack of papers. Sometimes the papers are scattered everywhere. I didn't understand why people needed that until I was like, whew, I have no idea who's boxing here. Some of them you know from the amateur circuit and so you can throw some of that nerd ammo in there. But most of the people you don't know just because... They're in the East Midlands circuit. We know the London circuit, maybe the Southeast at a push. And unless you get to the quarterfinals of a tournament, it's unlikely we're going to see you. So I had to do a lot of background. Um, you're messaging people. What's this kid like? What's he like as a character? Um, you know, what was he doing in the amateurs? So you're, talk, you're using your network and you're using whatever information you have available. So you've got things in your head. And what it also does is it helps you build up a mental image of who this boxer is. And so 
you sort of don't have to overthink it. And if you do it right, you don't have to refer to your notes in the heat of battle. So that's, and that takes a long time, by the way, because there were 10 fights on this card. So being able to know all 20 fighters to a degree where you're credible talking about them. Yeah, either two half days or a full day to prep like that. You need it. So there's me, fully prepped up, do my thing. You get to St. Pancras. And it's like, right, there's been a jumper on the train. So all trains to Nottingham, Sheffield, Leicester, etc., binned off. So now you've got to run across to Euston, get the train to, where was it, Nuneaton. Train to Nuneaton, then train to Leicester. Not as painful. But now your window for getting comfortable is gone, right? So I get to the hotel, check in. Got to get everything organized. Then got to shower, got to iron, got to iron your shirt. No iron. No iron at all in the hotel. So, you know, of all the things you're going to save money on, why, why the damn iron? And now, you know, these are the things, these are the bumps in the road. So now I'm like, God, how am I going to get this shirt looking good? So I've had to spray water on it to hope that the body heat will kind of massage the, the creases. We managed to get away with it. Then you've got to find the venue. But on the way, you've got to pick up your supplies. I need stuff to keep me hydrated and just keep the calories in me. So cans of Monster, there's some apple juice there, some Haribo, the usual. I think for the MTK show, it was guava juice and Haribo. <laughs> Haribo are the commentator's staple, it would seem. But getting to the, to the Leicester Arena, which was actually quite well attended, and you know that you're commentating, that feeling of just walking through the crowds heading up, that big fight feel, because I don't think I've really had that big fight feel. I know I've been to a few of the Wembley shows, but you don't get that sort of feel at your hall where there's this long road that everyone's got to walk up or drive up, and you get that big fight feel, and people are talking about the fight, and you're like, actually, this, you, that's when you start to get the butterflies, you get the energy. Um, lovely meeting Carl. I think Carl Grease might be the hardest working man in boxing. Uh, you think he's he's training people, he's managing people, he's promoting, he's matchmaking. He's doing absolutely everything, and he was he was more than a gentleman. And I will say this: if what I experienced on Saturday is the benchmark or the the minimum standard, Carl Greaves shows a good value for money, especially around that area, because he's got that sort of talent on lock. Like I think. Fighter for fighter, his stable is far stronger than Steffi's. Why Eddie doesn't lean on him, or why Eddie didn't lean on him when he had the chance to, I don't understand. But in terms of commentary, I guess you people want to know, what's it like? Uh, it's intense, right? And you wrestle with it, and here's where, where I, I feel for guys like Macklin and so forth, because... You've got a number of thoughts hitting you at the same time. So one, I'm like, I don't want to be on Porky's Helmets of the Week for saying something stupid. I don't want the asylum finding out that I said something stupid. And so you, you don't want the bloopers. You, you don't want to be the meme. And then I'm like, okay, am I giving the people who are watching this what they need? And then the third bit is, am I adding value on top of that? So am I, am I giving a fair representation of what is a pretty good card? Because... For, for a 10-fight card, and I'll say this now, this was easily, easily, 
the best small hall show I've been to. Now, if you measure it by talent, how competitive some of the fights were, the jeopardy that was clearly involved in some of these fights, this is, yeah, it's the best small hall show I've been to. It's hard for me to talk about production values and so on and so forth because I wasn't sat in the audience. All I had was a ringside seat to watch the guys do their thing. And it was a really, really high standard. And so if it's the case that Carl Greaves has everything from Sheffield down to Cambridge, then he's mining a seam of gold right now because there are a lot of talented kids there and he's the only guy providing a platform. But commentary is a lot like being in the ring in the sense of when the pressure's on, your preparation will show. Because it's very hard to watch what's going on in the ring, try and read notes. So your notes actually become redundant. The only time you can actually access your notes is between fights. And then you've just got to retain it. And then in the fight, you work out the right time to, to manage your information. It's, it's super hard. Like you're going from commentating on a fight, interviewing the winner. Just when you think you can get a breather, the MC jumps back in the ring and you're like, Okay, I'm going to do this all over again. But my God, is it enjoyable. It, it's, it's enjoyable. The view you get of the fight's amazing. Like it's, it's like doing the corner. You hear every shot. You can hear the talk. Um, you can, I mean, the sweat hits you. You're, you're immersed in it. And I, I really enjoyed that. The other thing I also, the other thing I learned was your podcast voice is not your commentary voice, but your podcast energy can be your commentary energy. And you've got to know the difference. So I, I don't think I got it right first time. And a lot of the things I've learned and I'll probably apply going forward, God willing, are around knowing that I don't have to call play by play in great detail because people are watching. So they can see what's happening. It's more around providing that additional layer of sort of context. So as fans, you can position what's happening in a wider context. So what does this mean for this guy in his division? Who is he really? What's his background? What's his story? How did he end up here? Why is he having so much success? What can the other guy do to counteract that? They're the more important things as opposed to how many jabs he threw. And I had to get to that point. It took me two or three fights to get there. And then you just relax and go, I'm just going to call it as I see it. And then it was fun. It was really, really enjoyable. So at this point, it's easy for me to sound like a mouthpiece for Carl Greaves and Dennis Hobson, which, to be honest, I don't need to be. And, you know, I always offer my views on things. And I'll tell you what made this card really good. Of the 10 fights, you can find at least six of those guys who were top-level amateurs. And for me, you're a top-level amateur if you caught a final at a tournament that's recognized. So schoolboys, junior ABAs, male, female, senior ABAs, male, female, right? For me, that's kind of what I put you. Even the Harringay to an extent, like if you, especially if you mixed in good company, right? And a lot of those guys have mixed in good company. So if you're from London, if you're from Manchester, if you're from Bristol, the guys who are there at Leicester are the guys your, your favorite amateurs were fighting against. And you know, sometimes you forget because Leicester, Nottingham, Derby, they don't really get on the radar unless there's a Nottingham show. Frank, I think it was the Leon Woodstock era where you had guys like Leon Woodstock, Sam Bowen, uh, Daryl Williams fought Jermaine Smile there, if you remember, up in Leicester. 
But outside of that, when do you hear about Leicester? Yet you've got this club, Earl Shilton, that's just producing high-quality amateurs. And we don't know that, but Carl clearly does, man, because he's discovered a gold mine. And so, you know, once we start talking about these names, you'll realize these are pretty talented kids. So the first person to really get my attention was the kid Brad Bethel. So anyone from the East Midlands, if you know Brad, you'll know what I mean. I haven't seen a Southpaw box that way in a long, long time from these shores. Real savage combination puncher. Could do with a bit more power, but you hope that comes with time, right? When he t- timing will improve, accuracy will improve, and he'll get those knockouts. But he's like an aggressive Frankie Gavin. Just, just watched him for four rounds, just set about his opponent. Just let him know that today you're going to suffer. But he was boxing at, what, welterweight? He'd be a nightmare for anyone. And people are used to guys like McKinson being awkward southpaws. This guy's not an awkward southpaw. He's a nasty southpaw. He's got that kind of Errol Spencer-ishness to him where he's always looking for, for the body, always looking to come round those elbows to hit the ribs. And then he goes straight back to the head. He's... He's a good watch. So I put Brad Bethel in that box of a good watch. I'd throw Bradley Goldsmith in there. He trains out of the Ingle gym. So where's Bradley from? I think he's from Coventry. Box as an amateur for the Triumph Club. Southpaw again. Harsh, harsh, harsh. Just mean. That's how I describe him. He was just, he was just mean, but also technically sound. So he fights a guy... Yiri Krupa, for our things from the Czech Republic. Two minutes, 50 seconds is all it took. One round, just demolished him. Once he had him going, demolished him. But you can see he's got that, that ingle poise. I think I talked about this in the previous episode, that there's like a sliding scale of like ingledom, which starts with Princeton Seaman on one side and like a kid Galahad or Johnny Nelson on the other side, probably Johnny Nelson on the other side. And Brad's kind of on that side with like a kid Galahad, but heavier handed. He boxes time at super mid, but he's probably a middleweight when it comes to, to titles. And even now he's a problem for a lot of these guys. He'd be a problem for a Danny Dignam. You know, he'd be a problem for maybe not, not, maybe not Linus at the moment because Linus is physically strong, but that gap will close fast. Because if, if what I saw last, last Saturday holds up, wow. He has a bright future ahead of him, but you want to see him in against guys that we know. So we need to see Bradley Goldsmith in with guys that we know. We need to see how he copes with bigger stages, bigger events, but the talent's there for sure. Like, and there's a guy that many of us probably haven't talked about unless you've got that local knowledge. So like the West Midlands lot will know about Bradley Goldsmith. And they'll know that he's a hell of a fighter. But us London lot don't. And that's another thing that I had to humble myself about. I've become too London-centric. Well, maybe too big city-centric, because obviously I'm aware of what happens in places like Manchester. But I haven't invested enough time in just understanding some of these other guys, you know, on the South Coast, the West Country, East Midlands, uh, Tyneside, D-side, T- all, all those sorts of places. Like, it's definitely worth investing some time. Another impressive fighter that night was Stanley Stannard. So he's, he's local, Leicestershire, I think Harvey. And he definitely did his thing. I think he stopped Daniel Urbanski in, God, I'm trying to remember now, the second round. 
And just for context, Daniel Urbanski fought Golovkin way back in 2006. It was Golovkin's third fight. Uh, And you know what? You know what both guys went on to do with their careers. But what makes it a good fight is Urbanski's been in with guys like Troy Williamson and Mark Heffron and all those sorts of guys. And we agree that those guys are British level. Now, they weren't British level when they fought Urbanski, but they were on that track. And Stannard has to be on that track too, based on his performance. So he looked good. Uh, In stopping him that quickly, he looked good, but Urbanski's getting older, so you can understand it. But it's a good win. And that puts him in that kind of, we can see him area level, English level. And then if he proves himself there, then British level. So he, he's one to, to be excited by. Um, what's the kid they call Blocker? Callum Blockley. Now he, he didn't stop his man, but he looked like a competent Southpaw. Nice and composed. More new Antonio Tava, just a classic Southpaw. You know, just everything right. Did what he had to do. Probably didn't have the power he needed to get the stoppage, but he would have definitely got the stoppage if he'd had the power. His accuracy... Pretty damn good. And his opponent, I think it was Ber, Berman Sanchez, not to be sniffed at. He's, he's, been, he's been here before. He's done the small hall circuit. And he's another one of those Spanish boxing miracle guys, isn't he? So really, really good win. Um, so they're the guys that you look at and go, I could vouch for those guys now. Right now I could say, yeah, those guys have a bright future. And if, if you want to see guys who could go up then it's those sorts of guys. But you've got to then balance it against what happened to guys like Leon Woodstock and Sam Bowen. So you can look promising, but you've got to turn that promise into actual achievement. And I hope that they all do. Uh, so they're the ones where I'm like, yeah, get, get excited by those. There's a kid, Tyler Rivers. He made his debut. He's, I think he's another Southpaw. He looked good. And like he, he'd done the schoolboy rounds as an amateur. Talented kid. But it's his debut, so, you know, it's a bit... You don't really know what to do. You know, you're meant to win your debut, so not much you can read into that, but lovely kid. Lovely kid, and if Carl looks after him properly, he, he, he can go a long way. Another kid making his debut was, I think it's Ryan Hurst. Not so good. So he came over from the unlicensed circuit, and he was boxing Fonz Alexander. And if I'm being honest, Fonz Alexander played with him. You know, Fonz was like, eh... This is an easy way to make money. And it was that sort of thing where you could see Fonz was just having fun. Like, what happens if I just dig him to the body here? Because the guy couldn't read anything. And that's the difference between unlicensed and pro boxing. The, the skill level, the perception, the, the ability to read things, all of those things, like that subtle art of boxing, is on a completely different level when you turn pro. The unlicensed one is it's just being a tough man, isn't it, if we're being brutally honest. But onwards and upwards for him so hopefully he can do his thing there was a young kid um and this might be the weirdest scoreline i've seen so there's a young kid called liam walsh so not not liam walsh ryan walsh's brother but another young irish kid i think he's like 19 or 20 he's a kid um looked like he was just getting hit from pillar to damn post if i'm being honest with you but he found ways to dig in there but at that age you shouldn't have to be digging in like that like he's He's taking years off his career. And to get a 39-39 draw, like I've never, what kind of scorecard is that? A 39-39 draw. 
which means two rounds were scored even and one guy got a round. Like, uh, they're the sort of scorecards that, that, that frustrate fans. I'm not going to say anything else other than they frustrate fans, right? And we can broadly all agree on that. But that young Liam Walsh, I don't know what his ceiling is. I guess it depends on how he grows. But right now you're looking at him going, I don't know if you're going to get to area level because <laughs> there are harder men out there than Martin Shaw. And he boxed Martin Shaw. And this is how old Martin Shaw is. Martin Shaw boxed Danny Davis in 2013. Like Danny Davis is my generation. So that's, that's the context you need for in terms they literally had to find this guy in the wilds of Rotherham and wheel him down for the fight. Um, young lady called Ellis Hopkins boxed as well. So she lost the schoolgirls or the juniors to Caroline Dubois, which is no shame, man. Like if you see the, the energy around, and yeah, the energy and the noise around Caroline Dubois, uh, you nod your head. But where Caroline Dubois is campaigning in the lighter weights, Ellis Hopkins has gone up to light middle which I don't think suits her. She doesn't hit hard enough at light middle and she doesn't work enough. And I think that's one thing she's going to have to address is that, that work rate, especially when you're better than someone. Um, she fought a young lady, Konechna, who I think everyone's fought. And she, I think I've used this expression before. She could have just been, you know I mean, doing customer returns at TK Maxx like earlier that Saturday. Like she just looked like she walked into the ring for, for the first time. But she's game and she's tough. And don't forget, she handed Monique Bucks that defeat on the Joe Cordina card just by, just by being brave and grafting. So yeah, we'll see what Ellis Hopkins does. Not far off putting it in with someone like Hannah Rankin. She's definitely got all the skills to, to be a mover, a stick and move artist, but it might be a bit too soon for her. And then the most shocking fight, by the way, was Connor Ierson against, ah, man, what's the guy's surname? See, I forgot the guy's surname. Uh, something here, Softus. I can't remember. Mikhail Softus? Mikhailov Softus, something like that. He's a Ukrainian guy who lives in the UK now. Now, this is a four-rounder. I'm going to say this. Connor Ierson got dropped in the first. He got dropped twice in the third. And he got dropped in the fourth. And I know a lot of you boxing intellectuals out there like, why the hell did he even come up for the fourth, right? Because that's what I said in the commentary. Like, he's not going to win this fight. And he didn't look like knocking out softers at all. Now, here's the irony of all four knockdowns. Exactly the same shot every time. It was like watching Joshua versus Charles Martin. Literally, he dropped him with the same punch four times. Connor Ierson would not keep his left hand up. And so the softest guy's looking at him like, he's literally looking at him and he's pointing to his hand like, mate, put your hand up. He's like, mate, like, you're making this too easy for me. And then in the end, he was just like, those that don't listen must feel. Dropped him four times. He got dropped twice heavily in the third when his corner should have just said he's had enough. His family were distressed. You could hear them. I could hear them behind me. They were distressed. And he's not a bad kid. You know, he's hopping around with his, with his long hair and his beard. You know, they call him the... Is it the tiger they call him? Mate, he was nearly extinct after the third round. That's for sure. 
because wow, he he didn't look ready for that level. Like it looked like he had come from the unlicensed scene. Now I don't know what his background is, but that was worrying. Because after the third, I was like, if he comes up for the fourth and he gets dropped again, he'll never box. Like that's the sort of hiding in a four-rounder that will just take your soul and you'll go, why am I even doing this? Because I don't think softness is amazing. But once he knew he could time the right hand, that's all he did. Just played around for a bit. Saw when Arson was getting tired. Just boomed the right hand over, dropped him. Said, okay, my round again. Only in the second did Con Arson look like he was kind of there. But that was like a sympathy round. I think softness was like, let me not try. And then he was like, I have to do something. And every time he did something, he dropped him. So will he come back? You hope so. I want to be optimistic. But that wasn't a great performance. And I shouldn't be afraid to say that. It was piss poor performance. For the simple reason that between him and his corner, they couldn't work out that if he just kept his left hand up, he wouldn't have taken so many right hands. So what are these guys teaching in the gym? You shouldn't be a pro if you don't understand that. You know, that's like, that, that's like, like me being a carpenter and then looking at someone going, mate, what does the screwdriver actually do? Do you know what I mean? Like I've been sat there for days hammering screws into wood. Do you know what I mean? Instead of using a screwdriver. That's what, that was the equivalent of what he was doing. But let's not hammer him too much, man. That must have been traumatic for him. And then in terms of the main event, it was Carl Haywood versus Ryan Amos. Both guys I know from the Harringay weirdly enough. And at the Harringay, I swear Ryan Amos was like either middleweight or light heavyweight. And Carl Haywood was like welterweight. So to see them meet like this was insane. And what happened in the fight? Amos just mauled this guy for 10 rounds, just mauled him, bullied him. Carl Haywood was smart enough to, to pick his shots, time his shots and just keep working. He, he was accumulating what I call scorecard pressure. If you just keep working and you're outworking your guy, you might get the 10-9. And if you can keep doing that, it keeps you in the fight. And I couldn't, like, it got to round 10 and someone said, who have you got, Matt? I said, I have no idea. Because I had no idea who won. It felt like it was going to be a draw because I couldn't pick a clear winner there. And there, there, there's me being a fence sitter, which I don't like to do normally. But the, I think the draw was a fair result. If those guys do it again, hopefully it will be different because... There was a lot of wasted opportunity there. You know, both, both men know they could have done better. I interviewed Carl Haywood afterwards. He wasn't happy at all. Carl Grease wasn't happy. But they know what they can work on and come back again. But good main event. Like you, you couldn't take your eyes off it. Because there were points there where you're like, I think Amos is just going to grind him down. And then Carl Haywood would come back. And then you're like, ah, Ryan now looks tired. Is he carrying too much bulk on him? I don't know. But all of this stuff, man, it was a really, really compelling card. So would I do it again? Yes. Number two, what do you do after you've commentated? Do you know what? You're just drained. So you, I went, went probably pretty solidly from about 6.50 to 7, no, to about just after 10.30. No break, no rest. And I was just knackered. But it was nice, man. So shouts out to Leon. Um, 
you know, recognised in Leicester. Didn't think I would be. Um, and then there's the other lad who knew me from Fitzroy Lodge. So that's all always humbling now, just to see that the brands penetrating and permeating in all these different parts. So I give thanks for that. I don't take that for granted. But yeah, you are. You're pretty cooked after that. All you really want to do is eat some substantial food and just unwind. But so enjoyable. So enjoyable. It was lovely to be around there. Carl was a gentleman as always. Uh, the production crew, Paul Green and everyone else were incredible. Everyone I met there was incredible. All the, like, the fans I got to interact with and speak to so it was good marketing for what I do as well. It was great. The fighters were great. Uh, good interviews, good people. Nah, I enjoyed it. I really, 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 really enjoyed it. And hopefully I get to do it again on a card that interesting. Oh, yeah. So there you go. That's how we commentate. Trying to think of stuff that's noteworthy. Nothing else. Good luck to all the kids doing the development championships this weekend. So it's regional finals. I'm going to try and go back home to watch the Southeast finals. So I'm going to go and cheer on the guys at Black Belize Boxing Club, you know, my hometown club. Go and show them some love. Um, what else is happening tomorrow? Probably won't be watching anything else other than that boxing-wise. I saw Eubank and Ben. Am I the only one that thinks this is a fight that's big in boxing? But it doesn't seem to have permeated beyond that. Like, not even like the casuals. You know, your mates at work who normally talk about boxing, they don't necessarily care about this. And I think there's a, sub, there's a subtext here, which is everybody knows, because we know Chris and Nigel so well, because we've seen the kids grow up before our eyes, we know that these kids have never struggled. So we can't we can't give them that everyday hero tag that we ascribe to boxers like, I don't know, Anthony Fowler. Whether you love him or hate him, that's what he is. He's an everyday hero because that's a guy that you could have gone to school with and here he is doing his thing. Sonny Edwards, a guy you could have gone to school with and he's out there doing his thing. How many of you could have realistically gone to school at Brighton College with Eubank Jr.? Didn't think so. How many of you could have gone to that private school in Spain that Conor Ben went to, that international school? How many of you? Didn't think so. So what you've got is a, a couple of upper middle class boys playing at, you know, being working class heroes. I don't think the public get behind that. And I think that's what's going to affect this, that this isn't going to cross over beyond anything unless they get the dads involved. Now, the problem is Eddie's been so disrespectful about senior... Senior's probably there like, why should I help? I still don't know what's going to happen when Frank Smith has his wedding to Emily Eubank because Senior has to be there, right? And Eddie has to be there. So at some point, that's going to get addressed. And as much as Chris can put on a persona and a character, Chris Eubank's still Christopher Eubanks from Peckham. I mean, he won't tolerate disrespect. So that's going to be interesting to see how the last few days of this build-up play out. But I'm not overly excited by it. I just think they put it in front of Conor Ben and they said, mate, at some point you're going to lose. Now, you could lose to Jerome Ennis and get under a mil. You could lose to Virgil Ortiz Jr. and get under a mil. You could lose to a Danny, Danny Garcia and maybe get a mil. Or you can fight this guy, Eubank, get four mil, and that's your O-sold. And now no one's going to worry about who you fight next. You're all good. Because people won't want to see you lose after this. 
So it's a clever repositioning of Conor Ben because whatever happens in this fight, as long as he can survive three or four rounds and, you know, put a couple of dents in Eubank Jr., he'll be the people's champion. They know that. It's a, it's a calculated gamble. I wouldn't be surprised if you see Tony Sims holding that towel tightly, is what I'd say about October the 8th. Um, probably worth touching on this Fury Joshua farce. In very simple terms, let's just leave it. Let's just leave it. Now we're talking about Fury versus Cha, Joshua versus Zhile uh, Zhang as a double header, and then they fight each other next year. I don't care. No one should care. It's about time we stopped caring. Yeah. Because it's become silly. How are we having Ebony Bridges fight another Australian on a Leeds show when there's an Australian show in two weeks? You see what you guys have done? All you guys that were there, I mean, falling for the thirst traps that Ebony Bridges was putting out there, talking about you'd sniff her underwear, all that sort of stuff that, that a lot of cretins were doing. Now you've, you've convinced Eddie that he can, he can put her on shows here. Now, as I've said before, I like Ebony Bridges. I like her fighting style. You know, if you park the, the suggestions of previous steroid use to one side, she just comes for blood and guts. And unless you can dominate that, you're going to struggle against her because she could probably box at bantamweight if she didn't have the implants. So she's giving up weight to a lot of people and they can't put a dent in her. So credit where credit's due, but I don't care who this other Australian nobody is. I mean, why is she fighting Sky Nicholson? We know who she is. You spend all that time putting her on your damn cards. Put Sky Nicholson in with, with what's her name? With Ebony Bridges. Stop giving me these third-rate Australians. Like, Australians by default are third-rate boxers anyway. And now that we've got to see them here, there's two of them? Ah, oh, come on. So I'm not overly excited by that. And boxing is just getting into that nonsense phase now, isn't it? You know, the saying Spence Crawford might not happen now. You're like, oh, God. Just get it done. There is no better opportunity to get that fight done than this year. It's not going to make more money next year. It's not going to make more money if they fight somebody else. It's just not because we know that it's just them left. That's it. It's them left. They are each other's legacy. That's the start and end of it. So let's get this chapter done and then we can start talking about Jerome Ennis and Virgil Ortiz. It's as simple as that. But yeah, we're, we're just into nonsense season at the moment, which isn't great. Um, in terms of everything else, if Denzel's fighting, Janabek, whatever, whatever that guy's surname is, but if you say Janabek, if Denzel's fighting Janabek, oh man balls of steel but as I've said many times man I think Denzel can cause a lot of damage bigger than he looks and hits harder than he looks and Janibek will respect that Denzel just has to if it's five weeks till the fight and I think it is then all Denzel has to do now is just decision points this is when you just have decision point training I might do like a quick short episode on what decision point training is but essentially, you're not going to teach Denzel any new punches. You're not going to teach him any new combinations. He just has to see a lot of Southpaw shit. 
He has to see a lot of Southpaw shit done different ways and he's got to be shocked, surprised to the point where he can't be shocked and surprised on fight night. That is all you do now. You make weight and you, have, you make these decisions hundreds of times every day to the point where you're not surprised. Nothing else matters. No sit-ups, no nah, none of that. Nothing matters. If that's not part of the camp plan, <laughs> what can I say? Not much, really. But no, I just thought, I didn't want to flood all of this into the previous episodes. I thought, let me do, do this as a separate episode. Um, you know, you guys do me a massive favor and keep campaigning to get me commentating elsewhere. But not just yet, though, because I still need to perfect my craft and find my voice. And on that note, I'll say, look, if you listen to it this weekend, have a great weekend. To anyone running the London Marathon, good luck, guys. Hopefully you make it over that finish line. Don't quit. Whatever you do, don't quit. You can do it. Yeah, your body can do it. It's just about whether your mind wants to do it. So good luck, guys. Hopefully you made all your charitable donations and all of that. And on that note, I'll say take care, guys. Yeah.